Welcome to Dugout Therapy, a baseball podcast about the mental game built by Coach Grace. If you're looking to succeed both on and off the field, this is the place for you. Hey guys, welcome to Dugout Therapy. I'm here with uh, me and, and Quinn and got a really cool uh, guest tonight. Uh, John McCormick from FAU, Florida Atlantic University. He's been there for 33 years, I believe, or 30 years. 30 there. years, 30 years. Don't make me older than I am, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, so we're definitely going to tap into that 30 years of experience tonight. Um, I'm hoping all the coaches uh, listening have their notepads out. Um, I got mine. And uh, I'm just super happy you were able to join us, John. Thanks for being on. My pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you asking me. Uh, I had a chance to listen to a few of your, your stuff, and I think we're going to have a good time here. Oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk all over the place, uh, you know, I think as baseball conversations uh, tend to be, but we'll, we'll keep it light. Hopefully there's a lot uh, of takeaways. Before we, we get into all the good stuff, do you just want to fill in uh, our listeners a little bit about, you know, your background, your baseball story a little bit? Sure. Uh, grew up in uh, Boca Raton, Florida which is the same city FAU is in, uh, went to Pope John Paul High School, uh, went to junior college for two years at Indian River, played for the legendary Mike Eason. After that, played at Lynn University, which is a Division II school in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, surprisingly enough. After I graduated there in 1990, uh, I came to FAU to go to graduate school. And um, it was just kind of by happenstance that, I started working with the baseball program. I had got done playing. I spent um, the expos were training in West Palm beach and they called me up and said, Hey, we heard you didn't get drafted. Would you like to come up and work out for us? And they said, we might have some, we might have an opening. Some of might not sign. So I went up there, it lasted about a week and the kid ended up signing. So of course uh, I was out um, my backup plan. I was going to get my MBA from, FAU and go to Wall Street and make and be a millionaire. Um, I ran into the head coach at FAU uh, at a little 4th of July gathering or right before 4th of July. And he said, if, if you'd like us to pay for some of your schooling and we could use an extra body out there to throw BP and work with the hitters and infielders and whatnot, um, would you be willing to do it? I said, yeah, sure. And, and his side of the story is, he goes, I never thought you were going to show up. Cause he said he was picking up his kids at this little, at this, at this place I was at. And um, his kids were like, you know, four and six or five and seven. And he, they were playing with a good friend of mine's little brother and we were throwing the football with them and jumping in the pool. And, and he says, Hey, I'm going to I'm taking the kids to Disney next week. Come on by the office. And he didn't think I was going to show up. So I showed up and he wasn't prepared and he's like, oh, my God. So he goes, you really want to do this? I said, yeah, I think I, I don't – I never thought I would like to coach. I never, I never was much into coaching in terms of a profession. Um, uh, but I would like someone to help me pay for my MBA. So, yeah, I'll do whatever you need me to do. So um, that fall, I started with them, and I did laundry and worked on the field and through BP and – work with the infielders and, you know, then it just kind of morphed from there. Um, you know, coach, it was, a, it was a division two school. FAU was division two going division one. So they didn't have a full-time assistant. 
the number one assistant was a school teacher and he would come over in the afternoons. Um, then there was a student assistant and there was me. So the student assistant was at school most of the time. And then the other guy was at, um, he was teaching. So I got to spend a lot of time with coach and was able to help him do a lot of stuff uh, in the office. And I, I was able to learn college baseball more so than any of my buddies that had got into it. You know, I was very fortunate being there in the early years when there wasn't a lot of help. So it was academics and it was scheduling and it was um, team travel and it was recruiting. It was everything, you know, in terms of, because, you know, it was all hands on deck. So I thought, I thought that those early years really, really helped me prepare for, you know, when we turned division one and were able to put a full staff together. And of course it's paid huge dividends as I became the head coach. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, when you're going through it, you're, you know, you're like, Oh my God, this is too much. But when you look back on it, it was, it was actually a blessing in disguise that, you know, I, I knew how to do a lot of stuff way ahead of, you know, guys that I knew that were in the business that I would see out recruiting and, you know, they would talk about scheduling. I was like, Oh, I already do that. Talk about budgeting. Yeah. I already do that team. Yeah. You know? So it, it was, it was, uh, it was a curse at the time, and then it turned into it will be a blessing. That's a very cool experience. I think, you know, a, a lot of things that are, are new in, in life, if you kind of jump jump into them trial by fire, you can you can learn a lot. And then, you know, you ended up loving it. So that that's cool. Uh, I, I like thinking about a lot of things in, in baseball. When you're first learning how to play, maybe uncomfortable or, or, or kind of trial by fire situations and, um, you know, trying to make yourself uncomfortable uh, to essentially – learn the game make and yourself play. better yep yeah. we we ask our players every fall to become uncomfortable we're going to put you in uncomfortable situations the worst thing we can do is lay out you know the red carpet and make things easy for you because yeah. the other team in the fall in the spring is not going to make things easy for you so we try to make things un as uncomfortable as possible it, not in a mean way but you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. in a in a teaching uh, in a teaching um way and it does pay dividends uh, down the line. And I think if you explain it to the young people up front and they know what you're intentionally doing, um, I think that they have a better sense of it as they go through it and try to learn it, try to use it as a learning tool opposed to a, oh, this is not fair tool, uh, which that happens, you know? Definitely. I, I, I can completely relate. Um, I took on a, a travel program uh, three years ago now. And just as past God bless year, you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, there's some nightmare stories with, with travel baseball. But uh, just this past year, I kind of took on more of a head roll with it finally and uh, establishing just some concrete foundations from the beginning has just paid so many dividends for us in terms of just being more of a team and, and actually working sure. goals and the, the first two years, it, it was really tough because I kind of hopped into the middle of this team that played together for a long time by themselves. And they had this coach or that coach. And there was never that, you know, here's, here's how it's going to be. And, uh, yeah. So, um, I, I, I hear you on that. Young people, young people want discipline. They thrive under it. Mm -hmm. They want discipline. They thrive under it. As long as it's fair, as long as it's, I think as long mm -hmm. as it's explained and it's fair, they, they appreciate it. They, they appreciate it. But in your situation with the, with the, 
the the young people are not the problem. It's the parents that become the issue more so than the 100%. than the players. Um, so how old are the, how old is your group? Now uh, this group is 16U now. So uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, they're they're probably this will probably be the last year they do this. They'll probably do some showcase ball next year and stuff like that. That's about it. I always think that I tell my tell my coaches all the time. That's a, that's a sentinel year in young people when recruiting. I mm-hmm. said just watch what happens when they start driving and their <laughs> their parents don't get them up in the morning for a game and get them something to eat. And uh, and as a parent that went through that with kids, then all of a sudden they're getting up on their own, or at least you're getting them up and they're driving to the game. And instead of getting there at 8.45 to be there at 9, they're getting there at you know 8.59 and running in with their shoes half on. It, it's a totally different, uh, it's a totally different ball game when they start driving and they're not, you know, they're not uh, being taken by their parents or picked up by the coach. It's totally different. And you have to take a look at that when you're recruiting them to say, Hey, this is, this is a little bit of a bump in the road. They didn't get to be worse players. It's just a little bit of a bump in the road. And then sometimes their priorities do change because of freedom. So you have to kind of watch that as well. So, yeah, you know, I think when you were first describing, you know, how you got started with FAU, you were, you were kind of, you know, mentioned how you never saw yourself as a coach or, or, or getting into it at first, you know. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your time at playing and, you know, maybe what, why, why didn't you originally think of yourself as a coach or think you would get into it? Well, I, you know, back then, this was, of course, I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s. And, and those guys didn't make any money. You know, coaches didn't have yeah. great lives. Uh, and, and be quite frank, I was a coach's nightmare. Um, I was a hothead. I was a know-it-all. Um, I was a nightmare. Um, uh, you know, it was, I, it was even to one point when I was either 14 or 15, my parents weren't going to let me play anymore because I was such a disaster. Um, and again, I say this, that, everybody I played for didn't, didn't make a living. So there was no, like, I didn't, I was never exposed to a coach that that's what they did. You know, my college coach who was, he's a hall of famer, but Mike Eason, but he was a guidance counselor in the morning from eight to noon. And then he was a baseball coach. My high school coach was a math teacher, which I wasn't going to do that. Um, American Legion coach was a former big leaguer. um, And it was dads and it was stuff like that. So there was no like, um, model that I could say, Hey, that looks like a, a good living and I would like to do it. And it's impactful. It, it wasn't like that. Um, uh, I was more geared towards my family. I know a group of Boca, but my family was most of my family's from New York. And there was um, one of my cousins was a successful stockbroker that made a lot of money. And uh, that was very appealing to me. Um, then I had a teacher in college who she was, she was about 40 young forties, um, drove around in a red Porsche. And she told us, she goes, I was in wall street and made millions and I'm doing this as kind of a retirement, you know? And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Um, so again, it was, there was no one that modeled that coaching where I, I walked out of there going, God, that's something I really want to do. Um, it was more the appealing side of, the stocks, the bonds, financial markets were more appealing to me than coaching baseball. So, um, and then, you know, I, 
the thing that turned it around for me was when I started recruiting in the, in the 91, I, at the end of 91 season, I got a chance to recruit a guy or two that I knew um, from my playing days. Um, uh, they were looking to transfer and I was able to get one or two guys to come to FAU. Mm-hmm. And then the following year I did the recruiting full time and I loved it. I loved the recruiting. I loved the evaluating. I loved the putting the team together. Um, I, I didn't mind the phone calls. I didn't, I didn't mind going to, you know, being away for weekends at a time. I didn't mind any of that. I really, really enjoyed it. And then the, the, the appealing part was putting a team together on the field and then being able to watch what it does. And, and the first recruiting class I put together, we put together, um, I think we signed 16 or 17 players in the next year in 93, we're in a regional. Um, and we lost by two or three runs to go to the world series. And I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I, yeah. I understand what it, what it looks like. Um, I understand. I grew up in Florida, went to junior college in Florida. I know the, the players, so to speak. So I can, I can make huge inroads this way because, you know, when I first got to FAU, the talent level was, was fair at best. And it didn't matter how much you coached them up. You could make them a little bit better, but not where we needed to go. So we needed, we needed better talent. We need better structure. And then we needed to coach them up better. And um, the school helped out scholarship wise. Um, Coach Cooney, who was my boss there, uh, my only boss ever, um, he was fantastic. And, and I always thank him because he allowed me to make so many mistakes. He gave me an opportunity to do so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he allowed me to make mistakes and he didn't hold it against me. And again, the, the, the other thing is we were a, we were a division two school that was, we were um, not in a conference where an independent division two school. So the mistakes I made, no one really knew, you know, mm-hmm. um, now they're splashed all over Twitter. They're splashed all over, you know, D one baseball, they're splashed all over everywhere. Oh, this guy can't recruit that. You know, I was fortunate that we were kind of tucked in here and I was able to make mistakes and I made them and uh, uh, we were able to overcome them and, and um, things worked out well uh, on the back end. But what I really said, I want to do this as a living was I wanted to, when I started recruiting and putting the team together, that was really appealing to me. Two of your best years uh, were, were recently in 2018 and 2019 as head coach. What do you credit for most of that success? There, there seemed to be like a, a, a good class there. Well, I, I think, of course, you need good players. I mean, you need, you need really good players. And, and we had really good assistants. Jason Jackson, who, who actually um, uh, left, he's at the University of Alabama. But he laid the found work, foundation of a great pitching, rich um, – uh, pitching rich group that was really set up for success. And then coach Mams is our hitting coach and he had some good, really good philosophies with the hitters. And, and, you know, we allow these guys to be themselves. And then, you know, we're fortunate that we, we got some guys through the draft out of high school, which people don't realize what a big deal it is. Um, I had a junior college kid come from California that became a star and, um, so sometimes, you know, it's a little bit of, of you're working at it and then sometimes things turn out way better than you expect. Um, but we had some really good classes, but the best part about 
excuse me, the best part about it is we had a really good group of guys that couple years. They held each other accountable. They played hard. Uh, they were good people. They wanted to win. They loved FAU. Um, so it was, it was a really, really fun time to be there. Not that, you know, in 19, our last full season, you know, we won the league. I think we won 43 or 44 games and, you know, had a great really run at the, at the regional. So, um, uh, you know, that stuff is not by accident in terms of, you know, everything, every success in college, you can, I think it always goes back to recruiting. You recruit the, the right person that has talent and you're going to go far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I like that phrase that you just said there too. And I've, uh, we, we actually talked with um, one of Maryland's hitting coaches and, and he said almost the same thing. He's like, yeah, you recruit good people with the proper intangibles, everything else seems to work out yep. in terms of just, they, they have the work ethic, the skill will come, they will become really good players. They may not be quite there yet. Um, so he was always looking for those intangibles. So it's kind of cool to hear you say that phrase as well. It, it, it's, it's 100% true. The better, I, I spend the majority of my time coaching the human than the baseball. Um, the better they are off the field and in the classroom, the better baseball players they become. When you can get alignment in their life, when they are doing everything that they can to be a good student, to be a good person, to be a good baseball player, and that's you know in the weight room, that's in the locker room, that's at study hall, that's eating correctly, that's getting their sleep, that's you know those when not all that aligns up, you're going to get a good player. You're going to be able to maximize their talent. And then when you get the really good guy that loves FAU, and I tell that to my coaches, I said, I, I don't, we're not going to call somebody out of the blue and say, Hey, you want to come to FAU? We're going to tell them about the program. We're going to tell them what, what we expect and how we run things. Do you want to be involved? Yes. Make sure that they understand the expectations uh, because we don't want anybody to show up. And then the first day go, geez, I didn't realize you had to do this. I didn't realize there was community service involved. I didn't realize, no, tell them everything. Rather get a guy with a little bit lesser talent that understands it and says, no, I want to be part of that um, because they're going to play harder. Uh, An old scout told me that 25 years ago, and I'd never forgotten it. You know, he goes, don't chase these kids. Find the kids that want to be with you, and they're going to go that extra mile. Uh, Because if you talk somebody into coming to your place, if you, you know, talk them in and cajole them, at some point they're going to look around and go, I didn't want to come here. And God forbid it's in the fifth inning of a, a really important game, mm-hmm. uh, a regional type game or a conference type game. And, you know, they go, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to come here anyways, you know? Um, so it's, it's really important for us. Um, I think to, to get to know the person and the family to make sure that we're, everybody's in it for the right reasons. Cause there's going to be ups and downs. And during the downs, you have to make sure that everybody kind of goes, okay, that's all right. We're in the right spot. This will pass. And um, we know that there's a bigger plan here for us. And um, so it's worked out well for us. It's, it's, it's worked out well. That, that's awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, a, a couple things you that said there really resonated with actually some experiences I had in college. So where did you go? Uh, Moravian College in, in Pennsylvania. Okay. So um, we were at the D3 level, and I think we ran into a few players that were looking to play elsewhere, kind of ended up with us. And yeah, 
what ended up happening, you know, middle of my college um, time there was we did find, you know, two, two or three guys that really were just, they were just there. They, they weren't, they didn't love the school. They weren't bought into everything we were doing. And uh, it really started to unfold the culture from within. So we kind of had to go back to ground zero. Um, my coach ended up, you know, letting some guys go um, that year and it, it really cleaned things up, but you know, it, it really does come back to the recruiting and it is a little bit different at uh, division one, obviously compared to division three, but uh, it, it was interesting to hear you say that. And you have to remind yourself of it because we all get enamored with the talent. Yeah. And you, you know, you're going to say, God, I know this kid, the, the story in him is this. And when you talk to him, you don't get a good feeling. But God, that fastball is good. And that breaking ball. And then you trick yourself and you say, Hey, we're going to, you know what, we're going to work with them. We're going to spend every day with them and we're going to make them a better guy. And uh, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, uh, if they don't have that foundation and there's two things that, that you have a hard time overcoming when you recruit somebody, their parental upbringing or lack of, and their DNA. Um, you know, the parental upbringing or the lack of it is really important because they don't have a foundation from right and wrong um, or the sense of entitlement. And then the second thing is the DNA. You know, I'm a big believer in DNA. I know driveline and the Florida baseball ranch and hit tracks and all this stuff has their place in college baseball. But I, I'm, you know, 5'10", 185 when I was a player, I, I'm not hitting 40 home runs. You know, it's just not in my DNA. You know, um, and not every, if every kid was going to throw a hundred, you know, why isn't everybody throwing a hundred? Why isn't everybody just running a six, a six, one sixty? If it's just about training, it's not, it's, Mm -hmm. it's about DNA. Everybody has, I think everybody has a ceiling in their DNA. Um, uh, despite how much people push train, train, train. And I believe in it too, but you, you know, let's, let's be realistic that, Mm -hmm. Hey, okay. You know what? 88 is about the best he can do or 90 is about the best he can do. Um, if we push it any further, you know, there's a point of diminishing return and he's going to get hurt. We're not going to be able to use him, um, or he becomes unusable, which we've all seen that we've all seen the guy that can pitch at 87, 88. And he does the, does the weighted balls or some sort of system that not, doesn't fit him. And then all of a sudden he's throwing 93, but he can't throw strikes and he's lost his breaking ball. And, you know, then what do you got? You don't have anything. It's great on scout day, but it's not usable on Tuesday night against central Florida. So, um, you know, I think you have to be aware of those things when you, when you sit down with a player. And, and I think that comes from going to watch them a number of times, opposed to the way things are happening during this quarantine where kids are just kids and kids are committing um, and schools are committing kids off of video, you know, yeah. indoor sessions and, Hitting sessions and you know a, a tweet here and there and like okay let's do this so I, I worry what's going to happen in two years when the bill comes due and all this yeah it's very interesting times right now um, yep I, I I mean on on our end you know we're we're make you know my travel team we're we're helping the kids make recruiting videos and obviously because that's all they can do to to get stuff out. Um, I, I mean, how have you guys handled it? Um, what, what are you, you guys are pretty much just looking for video. Have you kind of put a pause on bringing kids in? We've, well, you know, we can't, we, we no more 21s because the NCA is, 
you know, there's basically two freshman classes on campus because everybody got another year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. So the, the 21s that we had, I think we've added one since March. Um, okay. And then the 22s, um, we have some offers out to guys that were at camp in, in, in December. Um, but if we haven't seen them and we haven't met them, we're not going to offer them. We're just going to kind of wait until this is over. And, you know, it might be a little bit of Pollyanna, you know, but I, I think that I don't, we don't call people in June before they come before after their senior year and say, you can't come. We got too many guys. We haven't done that. And um, it's become epidemic in our sport. And I get it. I get it. I, I mean, I get it. It's become big business. Coaches are making a lot of money. Schools are investing you know, $50, $60 million in stadiums. Plus, you know, during the year there's you know, private planes. And um, so I, I, I get it. I get it. As long as everybody understands that going in, that this is a possibility at any time. Um, but we've just kind of stayed away from it because of, you know, it's so important to us to make sure that we have the right person. And it's hard to get that over a phone call. It's hard to get that just watching video. I think you need to be at the field and watch them get out of the car and see how they interact with their teammates and see how they interact with their parents and watch them play and watch them go over four and see how they deal with it or watch them get out there and not be able to have a successful outing. And um, I, I think it's really important to see, you know, cause baseball, uh, we all know that's ups and downs and um, Mike Trout strikes out and, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're getting the right guy that, that you can hand that can handle it. Again, it's, I, I, I use this round peg round hole. You have to make sure that the people you bring in, that your voice as a coach resonates with them. And that doesn't always happen. And sometimes we don't know, but if the, if he is, if you've spoken to him and you know what you've asked him the right questions and you know, what he's about, you know, what the family's about. You've watched him play, you've watched him struggle and you go, okay, I can coach this kid. And I think he's going to fit in what we do. I think those things are very important, very, very important. And, you know, I know we talk about it, but again, I think we sometimes get enamored with the tools and get away from it and then try to make it up on the back end. And like you said, you had two or three guys that didn't really fit your culture and it had a destructive effect um, mm-hmm. and then you had to go through a tough season and then the coach had to make tough decisions and, you know, just, I don't want to say dismiss, but move some guys along. Um, and we, we kind of want to stay away from that. Not saying it doesn't happen, but uh, our, our intent is to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. So coach, uh, since you started at FAU, uh, you've coached 131 of your players have been uh, selected in the MLB draft. Uh, is there a common theme with all these players that you've had um, that have gotten to that next level? Well, I think that the, the theme is um, we live in a good area with good players. Um, the other theme is, is we allow the guys to develop and we let them play to get better. Uh, I, I know we've been – pro scouts have told me that all the time. I love getting your guys because your approach is really simple. There's not a whole bunch of extras. Because um, the game comes down to what? Fielding, hitting, throwing, right? Pitching, fielding, hitting, throwing. So let's concentrate on the things that are going to make the game 95, 98% of the game, right? Um, let's make sure we're good at those. Let's make sure we develop those skills. Um, the rest of it I call 
um, your natural baseball ability is going to take over on some of the other stuff that happens in a game. The rest of it we've covered. Some of the stuff that happens, we just want good baseball players that can make decisions and think on their feet, mm-hmm. and then they're going to they're going to handle the rest of it. Um, you know, some of those oddball plays that don't happen as much as we think, and um, uh, you know, rundowns, first and third, some of that stuff. We go over it, but a lot of times it's just instinctual stuff that the guys have to have to do on while thinking on their feet. So I think the best thing we do is we recruit guys that have some talent and we let them mature. Um, there's no time frame. There's no ticking clock. It's we have we let them be them. You know, time. Young people need time, and sometimes, and we've gotten to this business that sometimes they don't get time. Um, so we're trying to make sure that they do get time, and we have them play a lot. We inter squad a lot. We make sure they play summer baseball. Training and lifting is really important, but they got to play. There is no substitute for seeing good sliders. It's hard to simulate that. Um, It's hard to simulate that. It's hard to simulate in-game at-bats, especially in the summer. Um, So uh, there is no secret sauce, so to speak. But I I think the the best thing we've done is, to get back to your original question, is let recruit good players and let them play. And and the cream rises to the top, as my mom used to say. (laughs) Definitely. Um, You know, I, I... Just taking a couple notes there that I love, uh, I, and I think this is kind of the direction a lot of programs are going right now is just kind of development first. And I love how you kind of outline sure. like almost four core pillars there of, you know, pitching, hitting, throwing, fielding, and and then if you are bringing in the proper guys with the right baseball IQ, the rest will figure itself out. Because, I mean, we know as as coaches, you you could spend a whole practice talking about bunt defense or rundowns or this or that um you know it, if you have the right guys with good baseball iq they'll figure it out I, I i love i love how you put that we and again i never intended on coaching because of i would i will i was when i was playing we had a coach that we would practice this pickoff play all the time like all the time <laughs> and it was you're out in you know 95 degree weather and mm-hmm. It's hot, and uh, we practice it. We practice it, and he would get mad when it wasn't done right. And we were in a game, and he comes out to the mound, and I say to him, I said, this is the perfect time for the Koufax play. That's what he called it. Uh And he looked at me. He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, if we throw it away, that's two runs. And I was like, right there, I'm like, okay, you're just telling me we've wasted umpteen (laughs) amount of hours that we could have been hitting or taking ground balls or – doing our homework or, you know, whatever. But we were doing it just because in his mind, practice had to go three hours or three and a half hours for it to be successful. Um, And he had no intent on ever using it. I I mean, in the two years I was there, we never used it. So uh, I don't remember ever hearing anybody previous or post say that they used it. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I remembered those things when I started coaching. I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, we have very little pickoff plays. We have three bunt plays. You know, let's be really good at ground balls. Let's be really good at turning double plays. Let's be really good at cutoffs and relays. Stuff that in an everyday game you're going to need. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when 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 you break it down 
over the course of a game, what not ninety five percent of the game is 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 those things. Yeah, if if you do yes. those things well, yeah. you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Make less mistakes than other teams. <laughs> yep. Kind of tying back into, oh, I think some of the recruiting stuff, but. It, it seems like you spent a lot of time when you first got in there building a really good system, uh, one. And, and obviously the recruiting strategy kind of goes along with that. What were, what were some things that you focused on from a culture point of view um, when you first started as head coach that have kind of also paid dividends? Um, we just – one thing that, um, you know, in terms of culture, um, again – we talk about, I probably spend more time, when you become a head coach, you don't realize how little time you're going to spend on baseball. Um, it's so many other things. And my role at FAU is to make sure the coaches, the assistant coaches have the um, stuff that they need to be successful, you know, whatever it might be. Um, weighted balls or weights or BP balls, whatever it is to make sure that they have the necessary resources, rep soda, whatever it is that, we think is going to help the guys get better. Um, but on the culture side of it, it is, we have a saying here at, at FAU, we say OTF, only the family, um, that every day you have to look out for your brother. Every single day it's about, I'm going to play hard because it's for him. I'm not playing hard because of me. I'm not playing hard so we can win a championship. I'm playing hard so I don't let down the guy next to me. Um, that is the common thing is we want it to be that you're part of this program for your life, only the family and what you go through, only the people that have been in the program understand it. And, but the, but the overriding thing is, is sure. We want to win. Yes. We want to go to Omaha. Yes. We want to, you know, but it's about taking care of the guy next to you and doing everything you can to make him better and make yourself better. And I know it sounds cliche and John Gordon-ish, but I started this 13 years ago before any of that stuff was really, you know, kind of mainstream as it is now. Mm-hmm. And it's just something I felt. Um, and if, if you read any books like Guys Who Won, like the Congressional Medal of Honor, they don't talk about what they did. They did it for the United States. They did it for the guys in their company. They did it for their buddy, they went through basic camp. They did it for the guy next to them. They didn't do it for the United States. They didn't do it for the Marines. They didn't do it to get credit. They did it for the guy next to them. Everybody that's, you know, nine out of 10 people who want a Congressional Medal of Honor, it's because of the guy next to them. Um, And he wanted to save that guy or save save his guys from whatever bad thing was on the horizon. And that's the overriding principle for us is we do it for each other. We don't do it for, you know, the glory. We don't do it. All that is a byproduct. If winning is a byproduct of doing things right. Ooh, I, I like that. that phrase. <laughs> what? So, yeah, we, we like that phrase. Uh, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> you you coach the 13U <laughs> development program for USA Baseball. Uh how yeah. how do you compare coaching at that level versus your college guys? And then, you know, what are what are some minor inconveniences uh, coaching maybe a little bit less mature players? 
Well, I, I, you know, I tend to tell you the, the USA baseball has been fantastic to me. It's an unbelievable organization. Mm-hmm. And they talk about a lot of the same things that, you know, they've, they've sent guys home that are big leaguers because they don't fit into what, you know, the culture is, but for the 13 year old developmental team, the first, the first part of it was I was absolutely blown away at how good the kids were. I didn't know what to expect. My kids at the time were 18, 19, 20 ish, um, had played high school baseball, had are playing college baseball, had played travel baseball. So I didn't really remember what 13 U looked like. So the first off, I was absolutely blown away how good they were. Um, I was absolutely blown away about how much baseball they knew because you're talking about, and, you know, we're going to say, you know, 40 or 30 of the top 13-year-olds in the country, you know, and mm-hmm. USA does a, has a great network to get those guys. Um, the, the, the challenges were that, um, and, it, and, it, and it would take just a little while, some of them were there because of future glory for themselves. And I, I, I tell people, play baseball because of you love it. Play baseball because of your teammates. Play baseball because you want to win. And don't worry about, uh, you know, the future glory. Um, they had a lot of questions about college. And I was like, well, let's get through high school first. Um, let's just worry about making, you know, the JV team at your high school. And, and the, you know, one thing, don't remember the game doesn't owe you anything. It doesn't owe you, it doesn't owe you anything. Um, uh, so those are just some things, but once you sit down and talk to them about it, they're like, no, that makes sense coach. Cause again, they're, they're the best of the best one. And then two, they're on their, they're on their best behavior for that week. Um, but it was fun. And again, the, the amount of, the amount of guys that, uh, how good they were, that was, you know, it was absolutely shocking to me. Um, but again, my reference point like we had a guy run a, a like a six seven sixty, and I was like, oh, that's good. I mean, I guess. And mm-hmm. the other coaches, two other coaches there, were like, you don't understand. That's like awesome for a thirteen year old. Like this guy's gonna run. And I'm like, oh, okay, really? Okay. You know, they had to coach me up on what's a good velo for a thirteen year old. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know where. Like I could see his arm worked really well, but when they said, man, that's seventy four or 76 and you go, that's really good. It, okay. If you tell me that's good, that's good. You know what I mean? Um, but it was fun. They, they, and, and I've done a number of things with USA baseball. And when those kids put that Jersey star stripes on, they really turn it up a notch and they really, you can see some pride in them. And, and it, it's, it's a neat thing to watch. It's a, it's a, it's a neat thing to watch. And then when you're there that week, USA baseball does a really good job of teaching the kids about social media and teaching them about, this and we talked to them about college and you know so it was it's a good it's a good week for them it's a really really uh really really good week but it was fun i enjoyed it i'm i'm taking down so many notes right now i hope i hope our listeners are enjoying <laughs> um we're, we're gonna just hop into a little bit of a uh lighter lighter segment here to to wrap things sure. up. uh we just call it our quick pitch questions okay so the first one we got for you uh what's your favorite baseball movie Favorite baseball movie? Probably um, Sandlot. I know it's a, it's okay. it's an old one, but um, I think that one is is um, and and I also do like Moneyball. I also do like Moneyball. The the fact that 
you know, they didn't have the money and they didn't have the resources and they had to think outside the box and they were able to kind of make it work. And they, they changed baseball, you know, they, mm-hmm. they changed, you know, they changed the evolution of our game. So those mm-hmm. two are probably good. I, I gotta say, I, I pinned you for Moneyball half, halfway through this, I think. Yeah, the oh, Wall Street. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. almost wore my uh, "You Got to Be Kidding Me" smallest T-shirt. So. Uh, oh, okay. I, I just love favorite. that one. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. We show it to the little kids at camp mm-hmm. when it's raining, and you know the 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 younger ones. And it doesn't matter that everybody loves it. It's a cute. It's a cute story. It's you know, and I and it's one of those ones that you're flipping through, and you can always just stop on it, and you pick it up right where it's left off and it brings back so many cool memories for me at least. So I, I, I like it, but Moneyball, um, the intricacies of it, I I do enjoy. So what is the biggest lesson baseball has taught you throughout your years? Uh, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, there's, 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 uh, worst thing you can do is, is feel sorry for yourself and give up, you know, and, and I, and it's, it's so true sports in general, mimic life and um you can see kids sometimes just you know wilt um because of the pressure because of the everything but just don't give up you know just show up the next day whether it was good or bad show up the next day um uh, and keep working there's no substitute for that there is no easy fixes there is no short even if even if someone comes in and builds you a 70 million dollar stadium it's not going to solve all your problems you know Um, it just will generate some new ones. So just got to show up and work. All right. Our last one for you. What's the the biggest tip you could give a a new high school coach trying to better his program? Okay. This is a, this is an absolute pet peeve of mine. And it's going to, this answer is going to be a look. The thing that all young coaches need to do is to realize that there's a few things and it all kind of encompasses the first and foremost, be organized, be organized. Players are not expecting Joe Torrey to walk in that dugout. Um, they're expecting that the one thing you can do is if you're organized, you're on time, you, you hold everybody to a standard, be organized. Um, uh, I, I cannot stress that enough, especially nowadays with so many different apps. Um, and when I say organization, you go in high school coaches, they don't have practice plans and you go, oh, I didn't have time. No, you chose to be a head coach. Make five minutes. You can do a template on um, Word or Excel and then plug in the stuff the night before and group me it to all the guys so everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, make time. If, if you want to coach, if you put the time in to become a head coach, make the time to do a practice schedule. Be organized. The second thing is don't try to fool the players. If you don't know, just say I don't know and we'll get back to it or I'll look out, I'll look it up tonight or I'll make a call tonight. Don't try to fool the players because they can see right through you. You can be who you are. You can fool the players for a week, two weeks, but you can't because no one can keep up a facade for that long. And the kids will see right through you. You can't fool them. Um, So organization, don't fool the players and understand your resources and understand um, your expectations. Uh, so when you take the job, so I guess this is the first thing, understand, uh, 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 one of my former players took the head coaching job and, and I said, you know, do you understand all the mechanics of what you have to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. No problem. Glossed over it. Come to the first game, the first game in the fall. I'm at the game. 
Um, and he says, Hey coach, you got any money? I was like, sure. I'll give you some money. You know, he's like, no, I didn't get money from, for the umpires. And I was like, Oh, um, then he says, do you, you know, do you not have, do you have any baseballs? Do you not, you know what I mean? And he was so disheveled for the first game, didn't have a lineup cards because he was so worried about the baseball that he was going to dazzle these young kids with unbelievable baseball knowledge. And what he forgot was the basics. He didn't go by the AD's office to pick up money for the, um, uh, the umpires. He forgot the baseballs. He thought they were, that someone else was going to get them. He didn't have any lineup cards. Um, so now all of a sudden he loses credibility in the eyes of the, the players. And he's a great coach. Um, and he's a really good guy, but he got off to a bad start. So now you're playing from behind all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So understand all the, the pieces that go in to the puzzle, that sit down with the AD, make sure that you, un- you understand what your role is, what his role is. If you're going to do team rules, make sure that they're going to back you up. Mm-hmm. Make sure that they sign off on them, that they're going to back you up. Because the thing that's going to kill you right out of the bat is if you tell a kid, hey, you're dismissed or – you're suspended for a week because you didn't do one of our rules. And then the parents go to the AD. The AD goes, I didn't know anything about this. He's back on the team. So you've lost credibility again. So organization, make sure you break down everything from the beginning and start at the, start at the lowest rung of organization, making sure you and the AD are on the same page. Hey, if I need something, if I need a cash advance, who do I go to? If I need to call the umpires, who do I go to? Do, make sure you have all that down pat before you teach anything, pickoffs, fun plays, you throw your first BP, make sure all that stuff is locked down. So when, when there is chaos, the players know it, they sense it, and it causes trouble and you're not going to win games. You're not going to win games. Mm-hmm. Um, so organization is the key and then don't try to fool the guys. I, I love that. that. That's absolute gold, I think, for any any – high school coach or any coach in general, just starting out. I, I mean, trust is built yeah. day in and day out. That's, I love how you put that. It's not, it's not sexy. Um, it's not sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a hitting coach and, and when I, I would, guys would come after a while and say, geez, you haven't taught anything. I said, well, I, I, there's no reason to teach if there's nothing to teach right now. I want to see you on a good day. I want to see you on a bad day. I want to see you an in-between day. I want to see you as you get tired. I want to see you have five, six, seven, ten, ten rounds or ten BPs before we start talking about changing stuff. I go, you should really be worried if I see you one time and you start changing stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you have to be organized and you have to be confident in what you're going to teach to be able to to be able to keep these guys, um, you know, kind of focused on what you want them to focus on. Definitely, definitely. John, awesome, awesome stuff. I, I can't thank you enough for, for chatting with us here. Thank you. You guys were easy. <laughs> thanks uh, a lot, Coach. Good good to hear. You uh, got it. Thank you. Hey, th- thanks for being on with I us. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. If you need something else, let me know, okay? Will do. Thanks so much, John.